after feeling now it makes sense to move to a different uh, level of aggregate. So I'm understanding and summarizing that trees as infrastructure is just one class of a new typology of assets that need to be created to deploy massive amounts of capital on an infrastructure scale level to close the trillion dollar funding gap. Because as we know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions and this trillion dollar funding gap does not get closed over the last years as we are seeing the market of impact in investing moving forward with all the good, good intention um, it has. So I'm wondering um, when we challenge the way investing is done it makes sense to have a closer look of like the the way like philanthropy and impact investing so far are trying to allocate capital so i'd i'd simply jump a little bit into the deck of uh, transition investing and then the question for me would be how much do you or do you want to share if it's like just on a let's say, metaphorical level about the to-be-nascent uh, impact infrastructure commission? Absolutely. And I think... So I had the fortune of working, you know, in the impact, impact investment arena for a few years. And out of the work that we did both in India and the UK, there was two things that became very clear is that impact investing works very well when you follow the spillover values. So like I spoke about the High Line, the spillover value of the High Line is massive. Whereas most impact organizations are only looking at the transactional value, but the spillover value is uncapturable or understood. So when we were, when I was working with KGBK in India, um, we, we talk about doing whole system value. So we do talk about total village investment, which went from ir irrigation, sanitation, health, education, all the way to, to the top, to, to access to market. Now, when you did that whole system value, you captured and you uh, unfold all the adjacent possibles, you started to effectively get a massive efficacy of value. Whereas if you value, invest in a single startup, it's, it, it generates a huge amount of spillover value, which is uncapturable and uncommodifiable, un which is why I think one of the big challenges for, I think, to understand impact investment in the next generation is about op operating in a different way. When we look at the way philanthropy and impact investing are working, usually they are not working like together, right? They're usually not sitting like on one table and looking like a bi-regional scale or nation scale or at least like meso-city scale and trying to alleviate problems that people or other sentient beings like the animals or the forests there have on the ground. Usually it's like either philanthropy or impact investing. So I think what's uh, really needed is like to, to disrupt the way, you know, philanthropy and impact investing intersect. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. And this is where, for a moment, what I would say is reality is um, a, say, private capital market or pri private sort of, yeah, capital market 
is focused on short-term returns. Um, it's focused on actually portfolios of risk, portfolios of It's focused on actually, um, it, it's not focused on non-human, uh, what I'd call deep, uh, deep throwing conditions generative conditions, it's focused on optimization to itself, and it's not focused on actually future prosperity. So the, so these failures, I would say, of our private market are actually opportunities for good capital. And they are going to be strategic opportunities for the next round of value. So I think, you know, when we talk about actually looking at long-termism, what is long-term value in society? How do you build the, gene the generative context for longitudinal value? The reality is, um, what is it? I think the stats are that 78% of S&P 100s would not be viable if they had to price social environmental costs. So the reality is most of our world around us is not real. You know, the reality is that you and I can afford probably two pieces of clothing a year if we're going to be living at one and a half degrees. The reality is most of our food system is actually massively carbon intensive and it's not even food. It's largely confectionery, right? It doesn't have a food quality system. So when we look at it from that sense is that most of our world is non-real. Our portfolio models of investing, so the reason why banks... Um, our portfolio models are largely dealing with theories of risk, is they are about managing risk to the allocation of capital, not portfolios of virtuous impact at the point of actually interaction. So if you looked at the uh, middle soft of Germany, the microbanking, the kind of middle economy of Germany, which was built by high-tech middle industries, that was because effectively there was a micro banking industry which actually was able to invest at those ecosystem their portfolio was not only the company but also the land also the housing also the shops because it recognized the portfolio of virtuous effects whereas if you're only financing the company right at a global portfolio level you have this massive deficit of financing transformation of all the ecosystems that make that company viable so what we've seen is a is a kind of degradation of the context. So I think we have to change our portfolio theory. I think we have to change our how we look at uh, as a result of portfolio theory focus on virtuous frameworks. I think we have to talk about actually looking at the risks we generate in time in different formats and looking at the longitudinal effects of our investments and how we operationalize them. And I think we have to look at the content that makes that environment generative and really start to talk about the non-human effects and the future timescale effects, the impacts we're having on future generations. I think the final point I'd make is, I think it's very clear that pretty much the world around us is gonna to have to be reimagined. Go back to my example of the house. How do you find a house which doesn't construct healthcare liabilities? How do you find the house which doesn't construct ecological deficits? How do you construct the house that doesn't create energy fuel poverty? I think when you start to look at that entangled value, there's a whole new idea of how we finance systems change in a kind of and system level financing. So I personally think that we're gonna to have to build new capacities of financing 
portfolios for virtuous effects and virtuous outcomes. And they're going to not just be operating at one dimensional value, but actually a whole portfolio, a whole, um, yeah, a whole portfolio of virtuous interactions. And not everything will have to give the, give value back. Like I said, the high line you could have built, and gifted it on the basis the uplift value was on the on the private properties. So I think it opens up a whole new class of business models as a result of that, which I think are really critical. And the final point I'd add is these portfolios need to be generative, right? The idea of this is about a portfolio which is generating and evolving over time. So we need to have new new frameworks to support that agile outcomes, which are non-predictive, non-linear in their pathway, because actually in a complex emergent world, that's not how things happen. So how do you invest in a portfolio which is generatively adjusting to risk and liabilities and future possibilities? And that's a completely different model of organizing. And I think you've seen examples of this, like, you know, early, very early first generation examples like Ramin Bank, which invested in a whole circle of women who were actually building some of these. So that wasn't about the exact business model that they were all in, but the mutual accountability. And then the discovery work was decentralized. So I think these are new types of contracts and investing that we're gonna to have to think about at that virtuous portfolio level. And what exact role is philanthropy playing and what are the ways that philanthropy can be really almost kickstarting the engine of these new business models. I think philanthropy has a capacity to um, to bridge the gap between value and price. So there are things that have value that are currently not priced. And that's usually a gap of like so for example like i said about trees our current system understands the value of trees we have all the science of it but the value is not priced in society and actually what we're doing is spilling over liabilities so i think a, a key role for philanthropy is to support the conversion of value into price i know this is really difficult but i'm not saying price purely from a private sense I'm meaning price to us collectively, because it's very clear the price of carbon is not twenty-seven thousand pounds a ton, actually, or two hundred seventy thousand, two hundred seventy pounds a ton. Actually, it's significantly more. When you look at the cost and the liabilities it's going to construct in the future, it may be significantly more. So I think as a society, and I don't mean all of this pricing, it's not about pricing it to private sectors, it's about pricing it as society so we adequately understand the risk that we're generating for future generations. So it allows us to make better decisions for how we allocate and manage that. And I think this is a really critical role of understanding that, uh, understanding this framework, and also maybe even challenging our theory of, of price right, at a fundamental level. What is the price and the value of one human? Now, uh, myself and uh, sort of uh, a friend were having a conversation about this. If you look at the infinite, so who is to say, Alistair, that your children and their children and their children's children may not actually save the universe, right? So now I know that sounds 
but the infinite future, the near infinite future of your effects, indeterminate effects, mean that it's not possible to put a price on what if you, if something happened to you, what the impact would be on a future world. So if we start to genuinely respect ourselves in the infinite options that we have in front of us, I think it starts to talk about a new form of relationship of understanding the value of being human. So I'm not talking about price in a reductive sense. I'm also talking about price and value in, a, in an infinite sense, because I think if we saw humans as of infinite value, right, genuinely saw things of infinite value and infinite possibilities, my relationship with you becomes different and so does your relationship with everyone else. The theory of going to war and where one person is destroyed actually is an infinite series of possibilities that are destroyed for the world. Yeah. And I and so I don't think it has to be reductive when I talk about price to value. That's why I bring this kind of extreme example in. But I think these sort of conceptual frames are really critical because they open us up to new ways of being and exacting with these others. And I think this becomes really critical um, in, in terms of that process. I want to come back to, to that slide where I see this, you know, it's, it's, it's called entangled portfolios for shared ambitions. I really have the feeling with the example of trees as infrastructure, we have an almost infinite amount of possibilities where we need a lot of different actors that almost have their different lenses and different perspectives and different theories of change and um, different business models or, um, you know, mm -hmm. attached to it. But in a way, we need to bring them all to one table and then structure the ambition ahead. How do you think uh, this is going, going to unfold? I, I think this is where I think... So what we're seeing is if you want to build these virtuous portfolios, these are hybrid, if you want to build transition, it's a transition built on a movement of actors. So transitions aren't going to be done by one person, right? So, and I think this is one of the big change challenge of what I'd call boardroom theory transitions. You can, you can get five people into a boardroom, agree it and do it. Okay, but a city is not like this. A town is not like this. A town is not a boardroom. A city is not a boardroom. A city is a multiplicity of actors. And when people talk about system change, they often imagine the boardroom allocating investments, right? And going, I've got a portfolio in this system. They have this godlike view where they look at the system map and they kind of go, right, we must do these 10 different things. The problem with that, it feels good. It feels really impressive to look at a complex map. We draw some of them uh, where you look down on it and you feel godlike, but it's actually total rubbish because the reality of a system, if you talk about a genuine system, as opposed to a management model, a system is about the decentralized agency of those actors to work in interdependence with each other in recognition. Of, that's what makes a system a system. There is agency at every point. So if you want to support a system transforming, you have to build the distributed agency. By agency, look at funding, capacity, leadership to be able to transform. 
You have to build a new model of accountability, which is between the actors of agents, a new model of learning, which is across the model of agents. You have to build a new model of um, accountability that's between all those actors. So you can you can build new forms of feedback where you, if you do something, you learn something. So actually you have to build new craft agency. You have to build a movement of these agents working together. And actually you have to accept divergence and convergence simultaneously. So a system which is only converging is very unhealthy because if that convergence is wrong, you have no other parallel positions left. So actually a system is not a monolithic act towards one, one future. It's a converging, diverging dynamic model transitioning. So as funders and strategic transformation agents, you have to build a new theory of investing, which isn't about control. It isn't about linear outcomes. It's about emergent behaviors, emergent sensing. So how do you build the sense-making capacity or the sensing capacity of a, of a system and then the sense-making capacity of a system? How do you build the awareness of interdependence? How do you build the empathy to care about each other's positions? So this is, a, this is the deep code level of large-scale systems change, which is fundamentally about building capabilities and infrastructures and informational infrastructures at the level of a system. And too often, what I see in system change projects is a whole bunch of work which really focuses on what are the 20 intervention points, right? They're still looking for leverage points in the system, whereas actually language of a system, how, we, how a system is describing itself or describing the problem, that's something you can share. You can build shared new languages. So real system work for me is at that, that deep code level. And that, I think, requires a new type of funder a funder which isn't trying to drive an outcome, isn't trying to ask for what is a linear outcome, but is genuinely building the capability and coherence of a system to be able to auto-sense, auto-sense make, auto-agent, and actually build interdependent movements forward, accepting convergence and divergence as not a problem, not a bug, but a feature of a resilient system which is dealing with complex change.